Hello Balloon Artist Podcast Nation, what's up? Ziviki here and this is season 8, episode 13. Today's episode is with Ron Fowler and how appropriate that he is now on his way back from the float convention as we are airing this and on his way to Twist and Shout 2020 where I'm going to be presenting as a vendor, as BAC, Balloon Artist College. I'm super excited about today's episode. I think it has a lot of value for you. And even if you're listening for this uh, way, way later, which happens very often, I think you're going to love it. Enjoy the interview with Ron Fowler. Take your balloons to the next level as we delve deeper into what truly makes a professional balloon artist with your host, Zivi Kivi. Now... Welcome to the Balloon Artist Podcast. Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. What's up? Zivi Kivi here, and this is Season 8, The Veterans. And today I have the privilege of talking with a veteran balloon twister and, and a clown, and also a manufacturer of one of the best balloon bags I ever saw, and I have the privilege of even being a customer of him, Ron Fowler, hello, flower clown. How are you, Ron? Hello, Zivikivi and everybody out there in the balloon land. I'm doing well, thank you. Today, I want to talk with you, first of all, about your journey as a balloon twister. We'll get to talk about the bags as well, because I'm actually quite curious about the background of that and how you come up with ideas. But before that, like just where did you start with balloons? I basically picked them up as a hobby the summer of 1988. So I've been doing balloons for a little while. Stayed a hobby for about the first nine years. I did dog swords, flowers, mouth inflated, which was part of the problem. Never knew there was pumps. So never did it on a public and only did it for like relatives during the holidays. 97, discovered a pump and there was no stopping me after that point. So back then it was, I guess, like a 260 pump, like the green or the purple one, I guess. It was the, the purple one or the red single action. Yeah, makes sense. So what happened then? Like, uh, how did you learn back then? When I first saw the guy doing it in 88, he made some balloons. He did all mouth inflating. So I didn't know. So I actually just went out to a balloon shop and bought a bag of balloons and figured it out on my own. I grew up on Legos. So Legos was my entire childhood. I can build anything out of Legos. So I just saw the balloons as a different median as far as the artwork. So I'm like, I can do it. So I bought a bag of balloons, took them home, and then realized I couldn't mouth inflate. <laughs> that was a problem. But I was determined. So I actually worked on it for a good couple of weeks to get those things inflated and then taught myself how to do a dog, a sword, and a flower. Wow. In 88, then, I mean, in 97, that really when it took off, when I discovered a hand pump. So tell me what happened when you discovered the hand pump. Like, what was the trajectory from there? Oh, my eyes got really big. They make a pump. I was just over the moon excited. So I met a clown. Uh, I used to fix video games. So there's a clown there making balloons. So I basically said, hey, I know how to make a few balloons. I took a balloon from him. I mouth inflated, which really impressed him because he didn't mouth inflate. And then basically showed him I knew how to make the three animals. So I'm like, and I was the game tech. So I actually have a degree in electronic engineering. So I was fixing the video games. I had the keys and free access to tokens. So I'm like, can we barter? Can you show me some balloons and I'll give you free arcade tokens? And that's how it started out. 
Well, I would teach you a few balloons myself for some some free tokens for arcades. Back then, I remember in my childhood, it was really a fun pastime. So you learned a few more, but where did the clowning thing started? Because you, you eventually became a professional clown. Yes. So once I discovered the pump, once I had some balloons under my belt that I can do, where I was at, I was in the big bar district. So this one clown that, that showed me the pump and showed me a few balloons in 97, he did one side of the river and there was another bar district on the other side of the river. So I went to the other side, but I figured that wouldn't be competition and he was okay with it. And I'm kind of a shy person in my, my real life. I'm kind of an introvert. The only way I can actually go out and entertain and get in front of people was to hide myself. That's where the clown came in. And that worked wonders for me. It just, I could go out and just talk to anybody as a clown and started doing the bar district. That, that lasted about three years doing that and then passing out cards and then started picking up birthday parties. After three years, I got so busy, I had to quit my engineering job. And I've been a full-time clown since 2000. Wow. That's like, as we record this, that's like 20 years of clowning. I'm uh, doing the clowning salute now and taking my hat off. So you've been um, researching topic of how to make balloons entertaining for many years. And uh, one of the reasons why I know this is that you were actually very generous to share some ideas about how to just be more entertaining when you're presenting your balloons and you've been sharing some of these ideas in a course that we had uh, in Balloon Artist College called The Best Dad Ever. And uh, this one, like you, you just blew me away with some of your, some of the things you carry with you in your bag. We'll talk about the bags later, but let's talk about some of the things you carry with you that helps you just surprise the kids that are waiting for the balloon and delight them and, and just make an experience in that moment. I'm a clown. I'm an entertainer. And the way I explain to people, and even when I'm at the conventions and that, this is something I explain. You come to me to get a balloon. You get entertained. And then you actually just walk away with a piece of latex. So you're there for the experience. And it took me a while to learn that it's me at some of my events, not just the balloon. So that's it. So I, I try to make it a show. I, I, have, I do balloon lines. I also do the number system where you come up and you take a number and you sit down. Depends on the event, but I'm very animated. I get down to the ground with the kids. When I have that kid in front of me, I have a one-person audience and I'm going to make that kid that moment theirs. Everybody else gets to enjoy it. And sometimes I'll like break away and entertain the whole crowd too. So I have the little rocket balloons I'll do to entertain the line. Anything to make that, that half hour, 45 minute wait more enjoyable. Because no mother wants to sit there for 45 minutes to get a balloon that's going to pop in five minutes. I understand. You're coming for the show. You walk away with a balloon. So I have little gags. I do little routines during my show. Of course, you know, you break off a balloon, you hand it to the kid, it flies up in the air. I have little gag things in my pocket. I just play. And that's what I do. And my rule, as long as I'm having fun, everything's great. If I'm having fun, they're having fun. So my line is just to show. I just do balloon shows and people walk away with a balloon animal. Can you give us an example? First of all, I want to say this is really just a very clever, deep line. You come in for the show, you walk away with a balloon. 
people, if you're going to do it too soon, this should be the, the two you put on your body so that you don't forget. It's really important. And I, I really appreciate the way you coined this phrase. What can you give me just as an, an example of this mini show? All right. Best example. I just went viral on TikTok like a week or so ago from a video a friend took. I've been doing this for a while, but they came out with these little tiny rubber balloon animals. This is a great thing. I do this at my restaurants. When the kid's in line and the, the child does it, like I ask them what they would like. They don't know. They haw and hum. At that point, I got a second. Let's entertain the line. I'm like, here's my list. Here's like a menu. And then I entertain the line. So I basically, I take these little balloon, rubber balloon animals and I have them strategically located in my bag. So I see the color of the animal I'm going to do. I pull out that balloon, same color, matching color, inflate the balloon and then pretend like I'm twisting it as the balloon deflates in my hand while I'm twisting. Like, oops, I forgot to tie the knot. And at the very end, when I get down, I actually have them palm. So I have the balloon in one hand and the animal in the other hand. And I present the animal while I dispose of the balloon. The people don't exactly know what's going on. So they have no idea what to expect. And when they see that I made a tiny balloon animal, they're just amazed. And it's just, I just get laughs and smiles and everybody's so happy. And that's part of the show. And other ones, I have gags in my pocket. So if I do a hat and I have to measure a kid's head, I actually have a small brain. So I ask the kids, can I measure your brain? I have mine. Do you have yours? And just little one-liners like that. And to me, an eye roll is as good as a laugh. So as long as I get that reaction from that kid or that parent, they like it. They're entertained. I love it. And uh, those uh, rubber, rubber dogs or rubber animals that you use, the small ones, is that something that uh, you basically give them that one is a gift? Oh, yeah. I will. I pass those out. Sometimes I pass them out when I got to get out of, of, of a gig. I'll take like a handful and just pass them out to the kids. So I hand them something and they let me go to my car. <laughs> so I go through quite a few of them, but you got to give them to the kids because you made it for them. And like at a restaurant, if I make the younger kids something and the older teenagers there and they're like, eh, I don't want a balloon. Let me show you a magic trick. And then I blow up a balloon and then I get the eye roll. I said I didn't want a balloon. No, no, no. It's a magic trick. And then I present them. And the teenagers love it because they can take that and they can put it in their, their car or their locker or whatever. And they just think it's the coolest thing. And it's not a balloon animal. Yeah. But it is. Got it. Love it. And uh, I want to ask you, like, when did you start using balloon bags? Because for me, it was really a moment that defined me as an artist, because I started to just treat the balloons as more than just the 260s and a few pockets for some miscellaneous. I started to look at the bag and think about what strategically I want to put there and usually also put more stuff into the bag. What was your first bag story? Basically in 97, when I started doing the bar work in that, I needed, I needed a shoulder bag. I need something to organize the balloons in a dark environment because I was doing a lot of bar work, going in and entertaining for you know, guys who were basically trying to pick up girls or you know, what the situation was. I borrowed my grandmother's sewing machine. As I went to college for engineering, the Legos, I just grabbed a piece of paper. I designed up a simple bag, very, very simple with multiple pockets that fit over my shoulder said, Grandma, can I use your sewing machine? I went out to you know the fabric store and bought some fabric and I made a very, very simple bag, but it worked well. And I used that for many, many years. 
then I incorporated my love of travel. And so I took my bag overseas and said, can you make this nice? And we made a nice bag, brought it back. Local entertainers said, can I get one? Next year, made brought back a few more. And now I'm exporting and doing conventions. These days, like how much of your time, energy, you know, life is into the balloon bags and how much of it is like the twisting? I'm a full-time clown. This bag thing has taken away all my, my extra time. <laughs> But I enjoy it. And I do it with my best friend out in Nepal. So we're literally, it's because we're on a, like a, basically a, a total time change. We're on two different ends of the planets. So it's usually we're talking my evening, his morning. So like every night around 11 p.m., I'm talking to, to Prada, who's over in Nepal, and that's his morning. So I can actually figure things out, what we're doing in production. And then at that point, he's going down to the factory, which is actually in his house. And he can tell the tailors what changes to make. So, But it, it's a lot of nights. I mean, sometimes it's one o'clock in the morning working on bag designs and production. And you came up with, like, you started with one and, and then another one and another one and another one. And then the Zuka came in, the Zuka card, and there were designs specifically for that that are like, super portable. Because I think one of the biggest hurdles of moving into a balloon bag is that it weights a lot. It is a heavy piece of equipment, yeah. So if you, and some of the balloon bags are just gigantic, so... You managed to find all sorts of solutions that will be relatively very portable with the Zuka and in general. What would you recommend uh, someone that wants to start moving into a balloon bag? What would you tell him that uh, makes sense to do? My first rule, let your balloon money pay for your equipment. Some people get into it and want to buy a bag for me. I refuse to sell it to them. I'm like, how long have you been doing balloons? Three months. I'm not going to sell you that bag. No, find something else. When you make enough money, then come see me and buy the bags. So in your bag, your balloon setup is just as important as your dress, as far as I'm concerned. You're standing next to your, your equipment. That's your system. That's your bag. That's your cart. That's everything. That has to look as good as you do because you are both out in front. So I work with two other ladies. They're more concerned about looks and appearances and me as an engineer I'm more concerned about function and how it works on the other end. So we make a great team. And so basically back in the day, it started with my simple, what ended up becoming my Noma Stay bag. So for about 10, 12 years, I just redesigned that bag and focused on that bag. And I learned tailoring and I learned bag making just on that one piece. And then I did my first convention, which was Twist and Shout when it was in Orlando. And... People went crazy. They've seen my stuff online. They're like, you're here? I'm like, yeah, I'm here. Come. It's like, so they wanted to see what I had. And my biggest request at my first convention was, can you make a bag with wheels? Yeah. People are just tired of carrying this thing. And understandable. I was tired of carrying it. Yeah. And my rule, I'm 50 years old now. As I get older and things in the balloon twisting get more difficult for me, I invent something to make it easier, whether it's a bag, whether it's a pump, whatever. I'm like, I got to keep doing this. I love this as my passion. So I make whatever I can to invent to make my life easier. Then over the years, we've just decided, and I work with a team. And once the, once the, once the industry went nozzle up, 
that's when the Aloha bag was needed. And that's when the Zuka came in. Because before that, I couldn't do nozzle up. I could not do nozzle up, period. I, can, I don't have the time to sit there and stretch out all my balloons and organize them like that. No. But once the manufacturers did, let's design a bag around that. And that became the Aloha, which was actually Lisa McIntyre's dream bag. I just made it happen and made it functional. And thank you, Lisa, for, uh, for listening right now, for just like caring that much and making things happen uh, with you, of course, on, and the entire team around you. I have to say, I use slap bracelets, bracelets from Silicon. It's an idea by Matt Falloon. There's a, like actually a Facebook group, slap bracelets for balloon artists where people can find how to get themselves some slap bracelets. And the idea is basically that you can tie a balloon to it. So it's kind of like the headbands only on your hand. And when you introduced these roll-ups for the nozzle-up balloon bags that can easily help you arrange your balloons inside of an aloha if you want to, um, I immediately saw the potential and I actually use it for for the slap bracelets. So when someone comes by and I want to show them the options for colors, I show them not the balloons, I show them the slap bracelets. They choose their slap bracelet color and because it's silicone, it's very safe for the kids. Then I make them the balloon that I choose to make for them. So it really is versatile, your solutions, your like there's so much uh, attention to details with the with the packets and with the sharpies and with the headbands and whatnot business cards and even sometimes uh, a place for a tablet or a laptop. So many details. It almost looks like, why invent another bag? How come we need more like newer bags? It seems like you thought about everything. Tell me what happens when you decide to make a new version or a new bag. Where does that start from? It's basically quantity by different bags or different sizes. So some people are like three everything they have with them. Other people are like, I, I don't want to carry that much in. I have different bags that could be for walk around and I have bags that are for festivals. I have bags that are, you know, for a restaurant. And I mean, I'm in the business. I mean, I do this. So I use all these tools and I need a place to put them. So I make the bags I'm like, all right, I have, where do my Sharpies go? Where does my card reader go for credit cards? You know, I need space for all this. So why not just make a bag with those pockets? And if I use it, everybody else uses it. And then I also get a lot of feedback at the conventions from people. I'm like, what do you use? What do you carry? And online too. I'm always asking questions. I'm always intuitive and trying to ask people what they need. And a lot of ideas I get from the conventions. So that just fills my mind. And as soon as the conventions are over, I immediately fly to Nepal and start designing. I do love your roll-ups because at one of the conventions you said, look! And you just picked up your roll-ups with all your wrist splat plans. And they're like, oh, that's a great idea. I just want to give a shout out. Rose Burkholder is the one that introduced me to the Zuka cart. Mm. Five days before I flew to Nepal. So I, I saw it and went, yes. I ordered one and had it delivered to me like made sure before. And I carried that over to Nepal and I've been designing around it ever since. You also care a lot of, for the details of branding and of helping people look good, but also market themselves. So you sometimes do custom designs on, how do you call it? Embroidery. Yeah, yeah, thank you. (laughs) Embroidery on top of the cover of the Zuka or even on top of the bag. 
And all these little details of showing someone's logo or someone's name on top of your equipment, that makes a world of difference. Of course, sometimes you can't wait for this and you just, uh, you're in a convention and you're going to pick up a bag and then pick up a bag. But the fact that uh, there's some customizations that are possible can help people stand out and uh, look professional. And let's face it, some of us are not charging the same rates like everyone else or like many of the other people, and we charge more, so we better look like we are worth more. So is there any anything new and exciting that you're designing or planning to design that we can expect uh, in 2020? Well, it is 2020. So basically, this is the convention season. Then I go to Nepal, design, then production over the summer. 2021 is basically when the new products mm, come out. Got and it. Yes. So <laughs> I've got the twisters... They're good. The problem is the Twister, it's a limited market. And I've kind of saturated the market. So I'm actually branching out. I'm going into decor. So now I've got three new products. Two of them are ready. I'm actually doing my first decor convention, this tour that I'm on. And I've got three decor products. I've got a decor apron. So no balloons go in it. It's all clips, magnets, everything you use for decor, tools, all that kind of stuff. And I have a, a pump, a bag made for one of the big bucket pumps, the Air Force pump that's designed. So got a bag with that for pockets. I'm also working on a big tool bag for decor. And then I've been talking to decor people on this tour that I'm on currently. And that is giving me so many ideas. I've already got sketches on my books for new products. So I'm not going to tell anybody because I'm in a year. It's going to be a year before it's released. Okay. So. We won't tell anyone specifics, but we will say that uh, like balloon decorators, stay tuned for more surprises coming your way. And where can people go to to check all of your options and balloons and like of bags of balloons, whether you're a twister, a beginner that makes enough money to buy a bag or you are like a seasoned pro, where should people go to learn more, more details? Basically, I have, of course, a website, which is bagaloon.com. Links right there, right? Yeah, links down there. Got it. Yeah, we, we are we are putting <laughs> the links. Of course, we are putting I, the links in uh, balloonartistpodcast.com. So if you go to the show notes, we'll put the bagaloon.com uh, link in there as well. I also have a Facebook page for Bagaloon, and then um, I'm always on Balloon Artist Gear because I'm always monitoring that page and see what people are using and all that. So those are the best three ways. I also have a YouTube channel. Anytime I have a new bag, I, I go through all the functions. It's, it's so technical because of who I am and the way I design that I have to show people. And when I go to the conventions and somebody has one of my bags and I'm like, well, why aren't you using this for that? And like, I didn't know you could do that. You got to watch my videos to see where I, I have a specific place for the ring cutters. I have specific places that are designed for the Sharpies. If you don't watch the video, you're just like, okay, I don't know what that's for. But no, they're, they're technical. So watch my videos. Um, my YouTube channel is Flower Clown. So it's going to have bag videos, but I also do balloon tutorials. And then when I'm traveling through Nepal and Asia, I tend to post my travel videos as well. I really need to break it down into different YouTubes, but I just like doing one on every one for everything. How long do you spend in, in Nepal every year? I'm there. Usually I leave after convention season in the States, which usually ends around Valentine's Day, mid-February. And I'm there for two and a half months. Now... In Nepal, I also do some volunteer work for orphanages and that. I've, always, I've been going to Nepal since 97. 
But what I've noticed is Nepal is a very poor country. So I cannot get really good clips and zippers and rings and all the and materials and prints. I really struggle finding that. And I've struggled for a long time. Now I actually go to China, which borders Nepal. My Nepali friend does business in China. So I just go with him. He speaks fluent Chinese. Wow. We do all my shopping for all the parts I need. And then it goes on a truck and it, they just drive it right over to Nepal and you know over the border and through customs. And then it goes right to my factory. And I have good quality supplies. I got great tailors. I got well-bagged design, designs that are uh, bags that are designed well. And then I do an air freight cargo once a year. Wow. That's quite an operation. Definitely a very serious operation, not clownish at all. So you have your two, your two identities, uh, Ron Fowler, the clown that, that can make people happy or either by volunteering with kids in Nepal or, or back in the States where you are a full-time entertainer. And uh, Ron Fowler, the businessman that, that really uh, nailed it in terms of production in a multi-state operation and creating very high-quality products. Ron, I really thank you for the time. I know you're busy. You're in the middle of a tour uh, yourself in the States and uh, you have been serving the industry for so many years with so much dedication and, and care. I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're very much welcome. I, I do really enjoy this. So it's my pleasure. And like I said, even when I'm clowning, as long as I'm having fun, you're having fun. As long as I'm, you know, enjoying myself, you're going to enjoy yourself. So, and, and you may enjoy yourself when you get the bag and you're like, I've got a beautiful setup and this works so well. And yeah, so thank you, Z. Thanks for having me. Appreciate thank, it. Thank you so much. And amen for that. And thank you so much, guys, for listening for the Balloon Artist Podcast. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening for another episode of Balloon Artist Podcast. We have one more episode on this season. And by the time you're hearing this, I'm like packing up my bags to prepare myself for a flight for Twist and Show 2020. And I will be waiting for you in the jam room and in the vendor room. So if you are going to attend uh, Twist and Shout and you're listening to this uh, on time before uh, February 4th, uh, 2020, then please stop by uh, the vendor room or the jam room where I will be spending most of my time and say hello. I would love to meet with people who listen to Balloon Artist Podcast. Love to meet you specifically. Thank you again for listening for this episode of BAP and see you next week. Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. Zivi Kivi here, and this is Season 8, Episode 13, The Tip Section. And I want to tell you a story about art, but it starts with two female good-looking singers, one from Israel and one from the States, that dress the same way. Well, it's not a coincidence. Most likely, the Israeli singer was learning how to dress up from the States singer, which was very famous and very big. However, the discussion I had with my daughter was that she showed me how people are ridiculing the Israeli singer and showing pictures side by side 
of how she dresses in a very similar way to the American singer. And when I looked at it, I felt really bad for the young ones, the youth that are focusing on who is she inspired by with her, with her wardrobe. And actually, I thought that a lot of, of the pictures showed similarities in color and in shape, but there was a lot of differences that showed the specific style of the Israeli singer. So I thought that it was okay, but the slides that my daughter was showing me said too much, too much, like, ooh, this is too much of a copy. Well, I went on a rant with my daughter And I'm going to share this with you because I think it's important for the sake of art to survive that we understand what is the difference between stealing and between being inspired by other people. This is uh, also what I'm sharing with you. You can learn about it also in the book, Steal Like an Artist, which I think I've mentioned before. And if I haven't, then here I'm in, uh, sharing it with you now. And I apologize for my voice being a little bit choppy, but this is really important. Stealing like an artist means you don't steal only from one person. You don't steal one for one as is. Uh, you always change something. And, and it has been uh, decided upon by many societies in, in the court of law that 20% change. That's what you're aiming for as the minimal amount to make something only inspired by another artist and not stolen from him. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't recommend stealing a design at all. I recommend being in touch with the artist and asking for permission to remake it or be inspired by him. But in general, if you're changing 20% or more in the design, then you're off the hook, you're, it's okay. And more than that, I would recommend that you make your art uh, inspired by someone. Not always the same person, but definitely, yes, be inspired by people because art is a communication form between artists. So when you're creating an art piece, if you don't have any inspiration, usually your art sucks. The reason why we came to the point where we have amazing balloon art designs is because someone was inspired by the previous uh, generation and the previous generation and and it's it's a constant evolution of designs and of art and this also happens between different mediums like some people are inspired by flower arrangements and some people are inspired by pop art or by comics and some people are inspired by theater or tv or even by songs you can do balloon art that is inspired by songs Well, when you're inspired by something that is totally out of your realm, of your art, then it's, it's way harder to find out who was the source, which is fine. It's, it's, it's an advantage as well sometimes. I think that if you're doing balloons, you should know who you're inspired by. You should give credit, inspired by Matt Falloon, inspired by Dave Brin, and so on. And I think that that's okay. And for, as for the Israeli singer, she really did change at least 20% of her look in order to just be herself. And more important than that is the fact that she sings really well. And I think it's important because there's more context in there. There's more than meets the eye that needs to be considered. Like, for example, 
maybe she even got permission from the singer. When, when you look at the picture, you don't know if she got permission or not, but maybe she did. So like just um, going on a shame journey and, and like shaming other people and even just without shaming publicly, just going on the mindset of, ooh, too much, that's too much, that's not right. Those people are, are misbehaving. That is not going to be healthy for you as an artist. It's not going to help you move along and be brave and make decisions and get stuff done and inspire other people. It just won't. <sighs> that, that's my rant for today. I hope that you won't be one of those people that say, Ooh, too much. This is, this is uh, 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 something that was stolen. Uh, when you don't necessarily have the full picture or when you don't take into consideration that actually, like, it's not exactly the same. It's 20% different. And this is what art does. It's get inspired by other people. So I hope you've enjoyed my rant of today. And I'm looking forward for meeting you again next week in Balloon Artist Podcast, the last episode of the season. So see you next week, guys, and thank you for listening for Balloon Artist Podcast.